A slow start leads to a blowout loss against Minnesota. Obviously, we played poorly. Probably an understatement in the first half. Turnovers early, and they're also really deflating. Welcome into the Hawks Report. I'm Daniel Salerson. Lauren Williams will join the show in just a few moments. A tough loss to the Timberwolves on Monday night in Atlanta. We'll recap that for you and Lauren chats with Valley Sports studio analyst Brian Oliver about Quinn Snyder's first two weeks as head coach. Don't you go anywhere. The Hawks Report starts after this quick timeout from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Not a great start to the week for the Atlanta Hawks, falling to the Minnesota Timberwolves 136-115. to Coach Snyder mentioned the amount of mistakes the Hawks made, turning the ball over 16 times, resulting in 23 Minnesota points. We have to be stronger with the ball, you know, and, and uh, we weren't. We weren't early. We were loose with the ball, and uh, they punished us for it. Those things, too, are like they, they impacted our psyche as well. Like we just were deflated, and then, you know, it showed up on the defensive end as well. Trey Young fills up the stat sheet with 41 points of his own, but the Hawks have trouble distributing the rock. Seven of the 17 assists come courtesy of Young. They did a lot of uh, just kind of staying with our guys on the wings and trying to make it a two-on-two game with the guy in the pick and roll and the big. So that's why I was able to get a lot of floaters off. And uh, Rudy was playing a lot of the lobs instead of my my floaters. So I wouldn't able to get the lob tonight. Hey, Lauren, what in the heck happened against Minnesota? You know, Daniel, this game felt over before the Hawks went to the locker room at halftime. They end up giving up 76 points. I'm sure you've mentioned this already. 76 points to the Timberwolves at the half. And the Hawks are, are now 2-7 and seven when they give up uh, 70 or more points to their opponent before halftime. So, of course, it, it, it's not an easy game when you're giving up plenty of turnovers early and, and not getting back in transition to slow the opponent down. So that's something that the Hawks will have to continue working on and cleaning up under the guidance of new Hawks head coach Quinn Snyder. Atlanta drops a 34-35 and 35 on the season and are now two and a half games back of the Miami Heat for seventh in the Eastern Conference after Miami's win over the Jazz on Monday night. Up next for the Hawks is the defending champion Golden State Warriors on Friday night inside State Farm Arena. Don't forget to check out the Hawks after the game pages in the AJC e-paper and online at AJC.com, which is only available if you subscribe at subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. Take it away, Lauren. All right. Daniel, thanks again for that awesome recap. Again, we're joined today by Bally Sports' Brian Oliver. Brian, welcome to the Hawks Report. Thanks, Lauren. Appreciate you having me. Finally, I get a chance to get down with you. <laughs> 
I'm I'm so excited to have you on and get a chance to pick your brain about what we've seen with this Hawks team, especially now that Quinn Snyder has taken over. So I'm curious, how impressed are you with the small changes that we've been able to witness in this in the span of a week since Quinn has been with us? I think that a lot of players and a lot of people have noticed his attention to detail. Uh, obviously, uh, you can tell by with the wins that they've had, uh, being able to make some adjustments on the fly. I think that, uh, you know, the, the last two victories against Washington, uh, just at the gut of the game, being able to make those adjustments and get stops at critical moments. Uh, I think there's been a lot of attention thrown at Trey Young and how he stepped up his defensive intensity. Uh, you can see little subtle parts everywhere. He may extend his pressure and pick up the guards full court. You see him making efforts to chase guys down. I think one of the things that's been brought up is Quinn encouraging Trey to use his speed. You've seen his, him pick up his steals. Uh, and I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, this Hawks team, we know that they don't have a problem with putting points on the board. I think the biggest challenge is when uh, they have struggles defensively and they're giving up 30-point quarters. But I think that's the one thing, Lauren, that stood up is their ability to close out games and also on the defensive end. I think the other thing that has been an issue for the Hawks this season is their consistency. Now, obviously, it's still a small sample size as far as are they doing these things that Quinn has talked about consistently. But from your perspective, it seems like they're trying to um, versus when they had another head coach. But I'm curious, again, from your perspective, do you feel like the consistency is kind of coming into play a little bit more and we're seeing a little bit more of that? Yeah, I think the effort is there. And I think that what you see is that throughout certain junctures of the game, you'll see uh, them doing a better job. Quinn is talking about trying to improve, uh, I guess, the habit of overhelping. I think that what we saw, especially in that last game against the Celtics, when the Celtics had 20 made threes, the tendency is to want to overhelp, where a lot of times – uh, the intention is good, but when you overhelp, it puts you in a position where guys are getting uncontested threes. And I think is that as they work more to try to stay at home, uh, try to do a better job of guarding the ball and not having uh, the penetration, those are the things that you see in the wins. I think for Quinn, uh, since he's taken over, I think the Hawks are three and four. I mean, that's a little kind of slated because when you look at playing a good Miami team and dropping two in a row, obviously playing the second best team in, in the Eastern Conference in the Celtics. I look at it that the Hawks are doing a good job with their chemistry. Uh, we've always talked about the ball movement. Uh, and then Quinn has shortened his rotation. I think one of the things you've seen as far as consistency is the contribution of the bench mob and the guys that are coming in. And, and those are the things that I look at because with 14 games left to go, with our eyes on the sixth spot, you want to make sure that you can carve up these wins and angle to get to the sixth spot and hopefully get out of the play-in. But you do want to be playing your best basketball at the end of the season. For sure. And I, I wanted to touch on the bench mob as you as you brought them up. Obviously, with the addition of Sadiq Bates, opened up a lot of more opportunities for a guy like Bogdan Bogdanovich, who we know before the break had started to struggle a little bit from three, just because whether it was tired legs or getting back into shape or whatever it is. So when you watch those two guys and how much they're able to space the floor 
when they're in that second unit, whether it's with Trey, whether it's with DeJounte or whoever, just how much more success or how many more threes can we anticipate this this team taking now that they have a few more options in that group? I think the biggest thing is that when you have uh, three-point shooters and three-point guys that can make it, because my thought is just because you shoot them doesn't make you a shooter. But right now, when you look at Bogey and Sadiq, they're both hovering around almost three makes a game. And when you got guys in Trey or DJ that can penetrate, it forces the defense to make a decision. If they're going to cut off Trey or DJ, when they do that, Guys like Sadiq and Bogey are wide open and getting those uncontested shots. But then what happens is that when they're making those shots, it forces them to have to stay home. You'll see more penetration for Trey. You'll see more mid-range jump shots by DJ. And I think that it's about how they play it. And when you see Quinn during the junction of the game, you'll see him kind of stagger Trey and DJ as far as who's on the floor. Because it's almost not like a 10-man rotation. It's almost more like a nine-man rotation with four guys coming off the bench. And that's always having either Trey or DJ on the floor. And by them being able to touch the paint allows guys like Bogey and and Sadiq to be on the floor. Because now, defenses are going to help. You get the ball out. And that's where those guys are having the success of knocking down the three ball. For sure. Right now, over the last four games, the Hawks bench is averaging 40.9 points per game, which is good for fifth in the league. And when you look at it overall, when we're from where they started, they were at the bottom of the league. They were close to like 22, 20, 25. So having a lot more depth offensively for this Hawks team. I think that's kind of the key that we're seeing with Quinn. They're having a bit more success. And also we're seeing guys like Onyeka Okongu and, and, and Jalen Johnson step up. So when you watch what those young guys are able to do with more consistent minutes in this rotation, how much more can we expect out of them now that they're kind of getting a little bit more of a rhythm? Well, I think that when you just look at Onyeka, what he brings on the floor is he's a guy that you don't have to run a play for. Uh, he's going to give you shot blocking and rim protection. With his energy, does an amazing job of crashing the offensive glass. He's a great finisher around the rim. A much more improved uh, jump shooter outside to probably uh, the free throw line. And Onyeka is one of those guys, again, this instant energy when you come in. And I think when you see the scoring that that bench mob is doing, he's got a part of it. But even though defensively, I thought against Washington, he has some key stops with his shot blocking ability. He's a guy that can switch out and guard the perimeter guys. But the guy that I think that's probably benefited a lot from Quinn coming on is Jalen Johnson. Because what you see, Jalen is a much more improved playmaker. A lot of times you'll see him get the ball off a rebound and run the break. He is, I think that his passing does not get enough attention because you see a lot of times he's coming up, he'll make the great pass for someone that's getting to the basket or getting a wide open shot. He's a much better uh, three-point shooter. And I think that's one of the things Quinn is encouraging him. And I think all the guys is that when you're open, shoot the ball. Uh, we've seen with Jalen also in his ability to defend. A lot of times he can guard anyone from the three to the five with just how long he is, how athletic he is. And that's one of the things I think that when you look at Bogey, uh, Sadiq, uh, Anyeka, and then Jalen, those four guys, when they come into the game, they're able to impact the game immediately on both ends of the floor. And I think that gives the Hawks a lot more flexibility. 
Yeah, and I mean, with the rotation kind of being limited to about nine or so people, we've seen that AJ Griffin has unfortunately fallen out of the that rotation. And obviously, this is an opportunity for him to compete in practices when he does get minutes to kind of show Quinn what he's capable of. But right now, it just seems like he's kind of hit that rookie wall. And if you think about it, in any other season other than this one, maybe he wouldn't be as prominent in the rotation as he had been up until this point. So what is, in your opinion, his next step to convincing this coaching staff that he should be somebody they should put in the rotation? I I think it's more so just taking advantage of the opportunity. If you remember the beginning of the season, AJ wasn't getting a lot of burn, but then when it was, he'd get five minutes here and he was productive, getting 10 minutes. Then you saw that he would have uh, more time to play. I mean, think about it. His rookie season, he's already got two career games of 24 points, already got two buzzer beaters. And I think that when you look at, like you say, that rookie wall kind of hit him where, you know, it's much more than just the minutes per night. It's, you know, the travel. It's making sure that you stay with your diet. And I think that when Quinn came in, I think that in his mind, he realized that I can't go with a 10, a 10 man rotation. And it was kind of like when you heard him say it was going to either be AJ or Jalen Johnson. And I think that depending on matchups, it, it seemed to favor Jalen a lot because when you look at him, he is a guy that can put the ball on the floor. He's a guy that can give you the defense. And with his length, you can put him out there from the three to the four. But with Jalen, you've already got Trey, DJ. You've got uh, Sadiq Bey playing those minutes. And obviously you've got Bogey. And I feel like AJ has been the guy that's been the odd man out. Obviously, in the last game against Boston, you know, you didn't have Bogey come in. You saw AJ get a little burned. But then I think that sometimes when you go such a long period of time, it's hard to develop a rhythm. And I didn't Mm -hmm. think he got a chance to establish a rhythm. But it all depends. I mean, tonight's game, uh, maybe Bogey is questionable. That may give AJ another opportunity. Yeah. And I think the other thing that people do have to take into account is that AJ Griffin's defensive game is just not quite as developed as a guy like Jalen Johnson's. And and with a team that's looking to improve defensively, they need all of the defensive help that they can get. And I think one of the ways that AJ can convince Quinn and anybody else on the coaching staff is maybe having some really key stops that convinces them, hey, he needs a few more minutes here and there. So when when guys are this young, yeah. No, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, because when you look at, you know, the Hawks, you know, the last seven games, they still been giving up like almost 120 points a game, Lauren. And you hear Quinn always talking about the focus on detail and defense. And there were a couple of times, like you said, in that Boston game where DJ had some critical matchups that, you know, may not have been able to get some stops. And so when you put guys in there, I know that Quinn understands that the offense is not the problem. You know, you're trying to get stops. And so, like you say, is when you're getting in there, it is, hey, can I come up with some steals? You've seen with this Hawks team, especially in the second unit, uh, when they're able to get stops and get uh, their hands on the ball and steals to get early offense and to get some fast break points, I feel like that's when they're at their best. And so for AJ, I was gonna agree. Yep. He, he's got to come in and help generate some of those steals, the active hands. But I feel like that's still one thing that he has to improve on. But like you say, Jalen Johnson definitely gives you that with his length and his athleticism.
Absolutely. I think in the beginning of the season, that's kind of how AJ did earn some of those minutes in the rotation. He was one of the top rookies in steals per game. And as he's shown up on the scouting report, that's kind of dropped off a little bit. So he's still got a few a few things to figure out. He'll have this offseason to really work on that sort of stuff, especially as this team kind of decides where and who they're going to kind of put their eggs in in those baskets. So if we're thinking about the future a little bit, who... And maybe this is a little too soon to be throwing the, who do you think will be on the Hawks roster next season? But if you're looking at who the guys they have right now are, who do you see coming back next year? I see the one thing is that, and correct me if I'm wrong, I saw that Bogey did not opt into his option. And so I don't know if that is to maybe give himself an opportunity to have a, a longer contract or if he wants to explore the free uh, free agent market. So he's one of those guys that I think that with his shooting ability and ability to score is probably going to be a high commodity. Do Are we able to hold on to him? I guess that's TBD. Bogey's the one yeah. guy that I think that, God forbid, if we were to lose him, AJ almost slides into that slot because it gives him an opportunity to get a little bit more familiar with Quinn's system, to go through the summer, to kind of work on some things. I mean, obviously, when you look at, you know, the starting lineup with Trey, you know, Trey's got the bag. You know, DJ's there. Yes. Uh, <laughs> obviously, Dre just got his bag. JC and then CC. I know that the Hawks are going to always look at uh, ways of improving their team. Uh, to be honest with you, I think the addition of Sadiq Bey has been huge for us, not only for yes. his three-point shooting ability, but he is a guy that's tough, that you know will man up and play hard on defense, that can put the ball on the floor. Uh, obviously, when you look at Onyeka, I think Onyeka is one of those guys that's going to continue to improve. Then I think yep. that with some of the guys that they brought in via trade, do you look at re-upping those guys? Do you look at saying, okay, do we try to bring in someone else? I think it ultimately depends on how the team finishes up. Because, again, even going back to AJ, you know this game. Hopefully everyone stays healthy, but you want to make sure that guys still stay engaged because, you know, God forbid another guard in the perimeter goes down. You want a guy like AJ to be ready and not mail it in with 14 games left to go. For sure. I mean, they have a lot of decisions to make uh, this offseason. One of the big questions, of course, is John. John Collins, will he be back next season? And if he isn't, does that mean that they go out and look for another guy who can who can be slided slid into the four, or does that mean that Jalen Johnson moves into the starting lineup? I I personally don't think Jalen is quite ready for the starter minutes. We've seen what he's been like in those in that situation, and he he did a, a solid job, but I think he's still a little too raw for that role. But going back to the real question is, does John come back next season? I think that one of the things is that he's always in trade talks and, and, and I hate it for him because as a player, the last thing you want to hear is that, hey, am I staying? Am I going? But I think that because he's always in talks, it shows that he has value. I think that when you have two ball dominant guys and Trey and DJ, a lot of times John does not get the opportunity to get the ball, especially in the low yeah. posts. I think that he's been regulated to being more of uh, a three-point shooter. Uh, yeah. And then defensively, he gives you what he needs. 
But to be honest with you, I think it all depends on what's Quinn's outlook for this ball club. Yeah. John Collins and his contract, I know that that's been some discussion. Uh, but my thing is, when you trade a John Collins, who do you get in return? When you look at all these teams throughout the league, and if you're looking about a four that's athletic, that can pick and pop, that can defend, I mean, yeah. that's a small pool out there that you're trying to. So I know that a lot of fans may look at his production and say that, well, hey, we should try to get someone. But I challenge who do you bring in? And back to your point, I see Jalen Johnson. He made a tremendous uh, improvement from last year to this year. But I, I still don't think that he's ready to step into the starter role and give you that type of consistent production. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think one of the things in watching, especially most recently, is that you kind of see some overlap between guy a guy like Clint Capella and John Collins and you're kind of seeing them fight for those touches in the as you mentioned in the low post a little bit more there have been a couple of times where Trey is looking for John and CC kind of just comes right in and takes the ball and dunks it so it's just kind of interesting to see what the Hawks will do with kind of that overlap in skills, especially because they do need as much size as they can get in, in the front court, especially with how, how much bigger some of these other opposing front courts are like on Monday night, you have a guy like Rudy Gobert coming in. Um, sometimes when they face the Cleveland Cavaliers, they're facing guys like Evan Mobley and Jared Allen who are both, you know, seven foot. So it's going to be interesting to see if maybe the Hawks decide to go for a little bit more size in that situation. I know they do like to play a little bit smaller because it does benefit Trey and a, and a guy like DeJounte. But does is something like getting, getting size a, a priority for this team and maybe even size and somebody who can shoot the ball? Um, a la a guy like Brooke Lopez or, or Nikola Jokic, obviously they're, they're a dime a dozen, but is that something that they think about getting somebody who can be that stretch five? I know they're trying to um, work on three-point shooting with a guy like Onyeka, but he's still undersized compared to some of those guys. So again, I keep asking this question, is that something that they do get, get a stretch five? That was one of the things that I thought that around the trade deadline that I would have liked to see them get some kind of backup center position. Because if you remember Hawks had a stretch where we were struggling on defense when Clint Capella went down, because again, as a guy that anchors your defense, although, you know, obviously Clint is not a three point shooter, but I felt that that period that Clint was out, you saw us lose a lot of games because of the, the opposing team's points in the paint were off the charts. Yes. I think that when we played the Lakers yeah. here, they may have had, you know, 65 points in the paint. We played the, the Brooklyn Nets in a game that we should have won. They had 70. And so you got to have some insurance, especially for paint protection. Because again, when you look at uh, Trey and DeJounte, they're an undersized backcourt. And then even though Trey has improved defensively, DeJounte is more focused on getting steals and deflections. A lot of times when those guys get broken down, you got to have some rim protection because yeah. what you find out is not having Clint and then you're depending on Onyeka and John Collins, mm -hmm. that put us in a bad position where guys are getting in early yeah. foul trouble. And then you talk about rebounding. So for me, it would be great to have a stretch five. But what I would like if the Hawks are going into the market in the offseason, bringing up a solid five, just a guy that can come in and it's, it's some protection. Now, I don't want to take minutes from Onyeka, 
But I do want to feel like you got some kind of backup because there have been different junctions of the season where we've lost guys to injury and not having the proper backup has caused us to lose some games that come down to one to two possession. For sure. Now, kind of switching gears a little bit, you and Quinn kind of have a little bit of uh, a background together. Um, so for Hawks fans who who don't know that story, can you share with us just what your experience with Quinn was when you're, you were playing back at Georgia Tech? So Quinn and I overlap. I want to say that Quinn is two years my senior. So his junior and senior year were my freshman and sophomore. And uh, one of the cool things for, for me was that uh, back then, uh, the battles between Georgia Tech and Duke uh, were pretty good because during that time, ex-Hawks GM Danny Ferry was a really good uh, college basketball player. And Quinn and I overlapped. And we used to have a lot of battles uh, with playing at Georgia Tech and then playing up there at Duke and then in the ACC tournament. Uh, and what happens is a lot of times when you are going back and forth against guys, especially he and I both playing the two position, me playing some backup point. You know, you look forward to certain kind of uh, matchups and then rivalries. <laughs> and I think that yeah. he and I developed a friendship and, and respect for each other's games. Uh, and so sometimes when, you know, years pass by and we all travel our different uh, positions and whatnot, uh, and when you're reunited, it's nice. So, of course, me uh, being the humble guy that I am, that's not the first thing I wanted to lead with. <laughs> so obviously when Quinn yeah. uh, comes out and he starts talking about it, it's really cool to be able to reconnect with somebody who I have an awful lot of respect for uh, as an ex-player, uh, as, a, as a college coach, and obviously as a professional coach. Uh, I think it's really cool uh, to have both of us go full circle and still be able to, to talk and catch up and still be working for a great organization like the Hawks. For sure. I mean, the the basketball world is a very, very tight fraternity. And like you said, you guys keep in touch. And um, just when you think overall about what Quinn Snyder can do for the team, maybe even specifically Trey Young, just how do you see him taking this ball club to the next level? Well, I think that what's been said is that how great a communicator he is. Uh, I think that having a younger uh, a, a coach that can deal with the younger players. I, I think that sometimes when you have veteran ball uh, coach, uh, basketball coaches, the tendency for the older coaches when it comes to younger players is to probably take for granted that they understand certain things. And I think that what had been probably mentioned previously was maybe a gap in communication from maybe an older coach that's used to having a more veteran club and in a coach that's used to having younger players. So I think that for Quinn, from what I've understood in his days with in Utah and having a younger ball club, maybe being a little bit more specific and a little bit more detailed and what his expectations are, maybe a little bit more relatability to the younger generation of NBA players uh, and maybe being a little bit more specific and what's expected. And I think that that's one of the things that all I've heard about Quinn and you see him in this seven games, his attention to attention to detail. If you watch the bench, he's always sitting there having single conversations with players yeah. outside of the players in the timeout. 
Uh, when you look at the clips from them in practice, even the guys that may not be getting a lot of burn, he still manages yeah. to keep them in, in, in engaged. It's not like, okay, these are my nine guys. You other guys, all right, you're just going to practice. And I think that those are the things that will cause the camaraderie, the chemistry, uh, and the expectations uh, to kind of play, playing where they should be. Obviously, when he came on board with, what, 22 games left to go, yeah. some people might have questioned, hey, why is he coming in now? Why Joe Pronti won two games. Why wouldn't you just let it stay that way? But I think it's to probably put a plan and program in place and probably for Quinn also to evaluate his team and to have an understanding going into the offseason what changes need to be made and start a rapport with the key players. For sure. I think I think you hit the nail on the head. And I think obviously we touch on it a lot. This evaluation period is not only for him to figure out what kind of team he's working with, but also how these players respond to what he's trying to teach and also who he sees kind of being a fit for this team in the future. But Brian, I'm so grateful for your time, um, being able to chat Hawks basketball with you, and we'll definitely have you on the show another time. Hey, anytime, Lauren. I appreciate it, Brian. All right. Thank you again to Brian Oliver for joining us on the Hawks Report today. Uh, we're going to take a quick break before we look ahead to the rest of this week. So hopefully you'll join us on the other side of the break. This is the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. Welcome back to the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I wanted to take this time to thank everyone who has subscribed to the AJC, as well as the AJC.com. You guys are what make all of this possible. If you haven't subscribed yet, that's okay. We have a special deal available for you all right now. You can get unlimited digital access to everything that the AJC has to offer for the next six months for just 99 cents. That's all of our stories on AJC, our e-paper, as well as all of our newsletters, including Bradley's Buzz from legendary columnist Mark Bradley. That's just 99 cents for the next six months. And you can take advantage of this offer by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. So you always know what's really going on. Okay, so if you're with us on the other side of this break, we're here to tell you that this isn't a super game-heavy week for the Hawks. Um, you know, they've got three games against the Timberwolves, and then they'll face the Warriors on Friday. And then, of course, they just 
lost to the Boston Celtics on Monday. So they'll start off next week, which is a a very game-heavy week with a matchup against the Spurs. But Daniel, when you look ahead at what this week has to offer, just what jumps out to you? I think Friday's game against the Golden State Warriors is what jumps out um, because that's your biggest game of the week. You have Golden State that, as of right now, before you get to Friday, is in that sixth spot in the Western Conference. So obviously the big difference between six and seven is avoiding the play-in. Minnesota on the outside looking in as well. So that game was important for them last night too. And so Friday's going to be the big game. Obviously Steph Curry is back. Still dealing with a little bit of health issues. Andrew Wiggins remains to be out. Again, no word on when he's coming back. Draymond's been battling an ankle injury, but he's been trying to play through it. Um, but that's going to be a, a good, not only just a big game for the Hawks and the Warriors, but just a test for the for the Hawks as far as where they're at. And I know uh, B.O. mentioned they're three and four, but he made a great point as far as those opponents that you had in three of those four losses, two at Miami, one of them coming on a back-to-back. And then, of course, the Boston Celtics, which they had the rest advantage as well. So you have to get that Spurs game on Sunday. That is a must-win and even though the Spurs are eliminated from the playoffs, those games are always tricky from the sense as you have guys on those teams that are not just playing uh, to win basketball games, but they're playing for themselves. They're playing for contracts next year. They're trying to stay with the team. They're guys that have nothing to lose this year, so they're going all out and, and doing whatever it takes to win. So those games could be tricky, and sometimes they do get the best of some of these teams. So the Hawks have to be careful as far as not looking down at any opponents, because obviously when you look at Charlotte this year, they've had some trouble with them. You don't want to lose a game on Sunday against the Spurs. So it is good that it's a light week. Uh, They deserve it after all the back-to-backs that we've been dealing with, especially those Friday, Saturday back-to-backs. But there is one stat that's been interesting as far as the the record of the Hawks. And this is thanks to John Schumann of NBA.com. The Hawks have been within one game of 500, after each of their last 22 games, whether it's been two losses and two wins, two losses, a win, then two losses, two wins. Like the patterns that the Hawks have had, they've been consistently inconsistent as we've said all year long, but hopefully with the schedule, maybe getting a little easier as far as opponents record wise, they can maybe get over the hump and start to build as far as at least getting to seven. Obviously six is going to be really hard. I think they're five back now with 14 to go. So pretty tough to get to five, especially when you're dealing with the Knicks at number six right now. Uh, The Nets have surprisingly jumped them once again as we're recording. But that's going to be a key for the Hawks, because then if you're seventh, you at least host that play-in game. And then worst case, you lose that game, you're still hosting the second play-in game in order to get in as an eighth seed. So a light week is great, but I think everyone has that game on Friday against the defending champs circle on their calendar. For sure. I think, you know... Obviously, this team is looking to evaluate what they currently have right now, but you still want them to to have a presence in the postseason. That's a lot that they can build off of moving forward. And um, the last time that the Hawks and the Warriors played, the Warriors didn't have Steph Curry. They didn't have they did have Andrew Wiggins, I believe, but he he had a, a bit of an off night. But I mean, this is going to be a very tough matchup, and the the Warriors they. They gave it to the Hawks in that last game back in January. So we know that they have an over tendency to overhelp. They're going to be facing another three point heavy team um, with Steph Curry still shooting pretty lights out considering he just came back from an injury. They still have Jordan Poole and they still have a, a bunch of other guys who coming off the bench can give them some firepower from distance. So uh, you can't expect the Hawks to fix all of their issues when it comes to 
uh, limiting op- opponents on the perimeter in such a short span of time. But I'm sure Quinn is is giving it to them as far as making sure that they're trying to break that habit of overhelping each other and, and leaving guys wide open on the perimeter. So when you think about now looking at the Spurs team, obviously, like you said, they're they're going to be fighting tooth and nail just because they they may not necessarily have uh, season the stakes may not necessarily be high for them as far as getting into the postseason, but there's still a lot on the line that they're looking to solidify. So this Hawks team does have a tendency to overlook some of their opponents. We've seen that many, many times. Uh, you mentioned Charlotte earlier. Um, they do still have a, a, a very tough uh, opponent in the Pistons who um, next week, that's Tuesday. Again, we're looking a little too far ahead, but you know they, they, they have some back-to-back quote-unquote, easier opponents coming up. So looking at what Quinn does, you want to see them beat the teams that they're supposed to beat, compete hard against the teams that, you know, they may be the underdogs. I mean, I think one thing I took away from that Celtics game, other than, you know, Trey Young is all about the smoke, um, (laughs) is that they they are going to, they are showing some competitive fight, especially against teams that uh, have a lot, more going for them or a lot more depth like the Celtics do. So it'll it'll be an interesting week coming up. So we'll see what this team is capable of and we'll see if they're able to kind of buckle down and and try to get into that seventh seed spot. So yeah, they're they're currently 1.5 games back from the Heat. Uh they have a lot of ground to make up. So yeah, it's it's looking dicey. I think that I think if I'm predicting it right now, I, I think they're kind of locked into that eighth spot right now. Yeah. If I if I'm being honest. I agree. I, I think you're you're starting to build that cushion a little bit thanks to those two wins against Washington. I think it's a two, two and a half game cushion between Toronto and Washington there. Hopefully even at five hundred you can probably keep that. Uh, in your last fourteen games you can probably keep that eighth spot. So I agree with you. And and, and before we go, I think you hit the nail on the head as far as the buzzword that Quinn has said, I think, in almost every single press conference since he's been coach is competing. That's been how he started. He's been pleased with performance. And I, I think he looks at this as like, of course they want to win. Of course they want to go far. But he has to use these last 20 games when he started as the head coach as an evaluation process as far as who adapts to what he's trying to do. Obviously, he's not pulling out all his bag of tricks right now just because of it's too late in the season to do that. But it's kind of a mix and match to see which guys mesh with what he's trying to do and which, you know, may not be best for this team moving forward. But the one thing you're getting out of them, like you mentioned, is there's never a boy, they don't look like they have it. Or how many times did Nate McMillan say we weren't ready to play uh, while they were coaching? You have not heard that once from Quinn um, since he took over seven games ago. So you do like that they are able to compete. Uh, for the most part, I know there's probably a little bit of lulls that you can probably point out to in there, but at the same time, um, it, it definitely seems like a change. You might not have seen it in the wins losses yet, but you're definitely seeing the way, at least from me watching on on television, the way he's interacting with Trey on the sideline, the way he's interacting with Dejounte, the players, the coaches. It just seems like they're getting more response out of him, and he's getting more response out of them. I will say that first game that very first game that they had against Miami in Miami, he did, he did mention just a little fact check there. He did mention that it, it seemed like they came out 
passive. Mm-hmm. Um, so he may not necessarily say they're not ready to play, yeah. but he may m- mention words like passive or anything like that. Sure. And then DeJounte, he also mentioned that they didn't come out ready to play. So Fair enough. Um, maybe the language and the term, it, the, ter- the verbiage might be a little bit different, but um, it's still good to see a coach acknowledge when his team isn't playing the way that you know he expects them to. So, you know, hopefully those days are behind them where they're coming out. Lackadaisical is another uh, another common a word that these guys will use if they come out slow. So, yeah, there's only there's only 14 games left as of taping this show on Monday, which is wild to believe. Right, That's crazy. This season has flown by. Yeah. And it's only going to go faster. I feel like these last were less than a month away. April 9th, last yeah. regular season game. Wow, that's insane. But we'll still be here with you guys, chopping it up, talking Hawks hoops. And we look forward to seeing you all or sharing with you all <laughs> next time we have the show. I'm Lauren Williams. Uh, I'm grateful for you guys for listening to the Hawks Report from the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,